Well, friends, you are listening to Table Talk with Mark. Um, we are live on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit right now. That is 657 AM as well as 729 AM. I know that we are also live streaming right now to Facebook. That is on the Radio Pulpit Radio Console Facebook page. You can also go to uh, Pastor Mark Penrith. It is live streaming there, and it is also live streaming to our church web, uh, church Facebook page, which is Central Baptist Church Pretoria. Any of those locations, you'll be able to listen in with us. We are looking forward to engaging with you. If you are on DSTV channel 882, um, or you are on Open View channel 607, or you are live streaming off our website, www.radiopulpit.co.za, wherever you are tuning in from, it is good to be spending Friday morning together with you this morning. Carsten, you want to hear some of the folk that are engaged with us this morning? Let me just say those folk who have already said hi. We have Jenny, we have Liesel, we have Magda, we have Ursula. He says good morning. Um, And we have Estelle. Um, We have uh, Lydia and Jamal and Sari and a number of other people. Alan, um, it's good to see all of you online. Uh, Daniela, um, as well as Elisa. Um, Great to have each and every one of you this morning. A couple of you commenting just in terms of that last insert um, and uh, expressing thanks for that, including Janine, a long-time listener who's who's in from Vitbank, who says, hello, Mark and team, which doesn't just include the guys that are sitting in studio, but also technical support. Uh, We are making sure that the lights stay on and that we fly in a straight direction. Uh, Kimmy says hello and Yvonne uh, gives us thumbs up. It's good to have each and every one of you. Um, and uh, Tabza, I can see you as well online. Folk, lots of interactions, but not that many questions yet this morning. Am looking forward to engaging with you on your Bible Q&A questions. We will answer them live on air. Uh, boarding the big guns this morning, sitting next to me is uh, Carsten Rembolt. He is uh, a staff intern at Central Baptist Church in Pretoria, uh, very involved in the life of the church, uh, based uh, primarily at our Hill Campus, which is in Zwavelpoort on the far east side of Pretoria. Carsten, really good to have you in with us again. Yeah, Mark, always good to be back with you and to spend time here. I'm not certain about the big guns, uh, but uh, <laughs> we're hoping for some questions and hoping we can again just come back to God's Word and explain it as well as we can. Well, now I'm like thinking about it. The 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 prize for the person who has spent the most time in studio with me actually right now might be sitting with you in terms of um, repeat guests so yeah clearly clearly uh, I enjoy having you with me and uh, enjoy the 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 answers that you give um, uh, live on air and it's good to have you uh, with me this morning thanks for joining me really no, appreciate it uh, and I do want to open the account by talking about because now I've mentioned a couple of times that uh, I attend Central Baptist Church in Pretoria mentioned that you are an intern at Central Baptist Church Pretoria I want to pick on that word Baptist for a little bit and poke it and and see how that moves Um, and I want to talk around Baptist principles what it actually means to be a Baptist when I say I'm a Baptist when you say you're a Baptist when people say they're a Baptist what does that mean what doesn't that mean I I, I want us to talk through that a little bit you might have questions regarding um, all things Baptist or you might be curious maybe maybe, I mean I, I have no doubt that we have 
tons of people who are listening that aren't Baptists, but maybe you've always wondered, like, like what is a Baptist actually? You know, like, like, and and why do Baptists hold to this view, that view, or the next view? Uh, Glenn says, uh, "Morning, Mark. Uh, keep well. Nice to have you with us, uh, Glenn, as well." Um, if you've got a question, I want to tell you how you can ask, you can ask it, <laughs> how you can ask it this morning. You can dial into our studio, which means that you come in live on air. Your call will be answered and uh, you'll get to ask your question live and that way I get to engage and interact with you a little bit. The telephone number for that is 012-334-1322 and I will post these telephone numbers and WhatsApp numbers to our current Facebook live stream so you can go there if uh, you might have missed it or didn't have a pen and paper around to write it down with. Our WhatsApp number and Telegram number is 0826572729. We are watching that keenly as well. Number of uh, engagements and interactions have come in via WhatsApp over the last while. Love WhatsApp voice notes, by the way. So maybe you're not like so keen on coming live on air and speaking. Maybe you're a bit nervous to do that. Uh, send in a WhatsApp voice note. That's an easy way for us to hear your voice and hear your question uh, and get a sense of what you are asking. Um, and then you can also just drop a comment into the Facebook live stream um, and uh, and we see that right here in studio um, while we're talking. Look, if you're a twit, I don't actually think, I, I don't think I've ever seen someone coming in with a question or a comment via via um, Twitter. If you are on Twitter, maybe you can just send in a test and <laughs> I can see if it works. Um, the 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 tweet handle is at 657am I'd love to hear from you if you're on Twitter as well, Uh, if you send in a tweet I will follow you with my my Twitter account uh, when I figure out how Twitter works (laughs) I've been working on it over the last couple of weeks when you think of the word Baptist Karsten what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Mine is food, but what's yours? (laughs) Mine would be a three point sermon Um, (laughs) there you go uh, I, I think that's those are the typical things. I, I, honestly, I'm surprised by the number of people that think that Baptist actually holds to a certain, like, very distinctive point of theology. Yeah, um, I've been very astounded as I've gotten to know more and more Baptists, just how open the theology can be in terms of. There's a lot we agree on in terms of a lot of evangelical principles. Yes, um, but there's a lot, a wide range, a very, very wide range, even as we think of of Baptists. Uh, in terms of what that even means. Well, let me just touch on that, that idea of distinctiveness, seeing that you brought it up. Um, the truth is, 200 years ago, um, to be a Baptist and to have that tag would have made you very distinctive. I mean, the bottom line is um, we, we, we believed in full immersion baptism, which is where the, the whole tag Baptist came from. A- and that did set us... Um, as distinct from other mainline denominations and when I say mainline denominations I'm thinking Methodists, Presbyterians, Anglicans um, our second cousins in the faith um, and the Reformed churches in South Africa the three sister churches in South Africa um, the, the fact that we believed in full immersion baptism would have been would have been a very distinct distinctive but over the last hundred years plus plus so let's go with a hundred and and 22 years 
um, being Baptist has 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 actually devalued in terms of that distinctive because many many believers um, in the which would hold to the evangelical tag um, have adopted full immersion baptism and so we're no longer as distinct I guess from the kinds of churches around us as, as what we used to be. And being Baptist really allows us, because of one of our distinctives, which I'm sure we'll get to and talk about, um, uh, that being the freedom of conscience and the right of each person or the responsibility of each person to um, faithfully and responsibly interpret Scripture, um, means that that in actual fact, Baptists are a fairly wide spectrum of people, all the way from Reformed 1689 card-carrying Baptists um, to kind of Bapticostals on the far left. We, we, we have a, a Broad church as a denomination, and we can even talk about how we aren't denominational at some stage. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think even more than that, I think to to add to, there's always the joke that Baptists were the first denomination because of John the Baptist. Um, <laughs> but but truthfully, even as you're saying, in terms of the, the history of where Baptists come from, and um, there's a little bit of argument there, but sort of it's post Reformation even. Yes. Um, as we're going through, in terms of you had these giants, yeah, um, like churches that was your your this is the church of england or this is yes this is the roman States catholic church, church. This yeah, is the church of scotland the presbyterians or the church of england the anglicans yeah you'd literally be persecuted for trying to start your own church yeah um you're either a part of the global national church or you weren't um until people became convicted reading the scriptures coming through and they said no like um that the, often the first point was actually that that point of of baptism uh, they felt convicted that baptism is by um, not necessarily even full immersion, but that it's believers' baptism. Yes. Um, one of the clear points that Baptists would most commonly agree to is, is that idea of believers' baptism. You're baptized when you sure. Believe. So I, I, I actually I actually muddled it a little bit because when I, I speak about full immersion baptism, obviously that was what that was what made us distinct. That was what set us apart. But that's really that's really the mode. But mm. but really even before we start to talk about the mode, we need to talk about the mandate of baptism. And we believe that the mandate is given that believers would be baptized by full immersion. Um, so it's uh, come to faith, believe, be baptized, and then be added to the church. And the adding to the church um, at that stage we're not even talking about the universal church we believe that happens at the point of faith at the point of belief but that adding to the church would be at uh, be adding to a local church a, a church which isn't a state church a church which is a fully autonomous local manifestation of the universal church of God right so even as you you, you taught um, I think it was two weeks ago about Acts and the start of Acts and it says that uh, repent believe be baptized and then it makes that statement of 2,000 were added to the church that day. And so it's clearly that that portion that gathered together, repent, believe, but also be baptized into the local church. Uh, in that case, yes, it was the Jerusalem church, but they went out and split to their various locations and uh, God used that. But it was that idea of they believed and were baptized. Um, that's sort of what we see that that initial standard. This is what the call is placed upon believers. And that baptism is to be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which would maybe make us distinct from some other full immersion Baptist practicing denominations, uh, which would 
which would um, immerse people only in the name of, the, of Jesus. We're Trinitarian. Uh, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we read Matthew chapter 28, uh, the end of the chapter, where Jesus gives the great commission um, to go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that whole idea of in the name is in the authority. We understand that as in the uh, uh, this representative nature of this name um, but it's the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and so Baptists through the ages baptize believers by full immersion in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit but that's not all we do right I mean that's the, that's the name so Baptists are Baptists are, are Baptists and we believe in baptism we look at that that Greek word baptizo and we see that the word is immerse and so we practice immersion but that's not all that Baptists hold to we also hold to three point sermons like you pointed out earlier <laughs> De- definitely definitely uh, definitely the three point sermons except if you had to listen to our sermons as played on radio pulpit on Sundays um, then you'd hear they're often not three points um, so maybe we're not three, the best Baptist three points, church three points and alliterated they're all going to be A's all going to be B's all going to be C's else you're not actually a Baptist pastor I'm so glad we partially left that era that we don't alliterate every single point um, but, but I think maybe the point to talk about and what we should really be getting towards is that point of the direct lordship of Christ yes um, I, th- I think that that is what anchors all the rest of the principles as we yes. look out towards it. Um, and what does that mean? That means that our authority, what, what our mandate given by is all under Christ, right? In the local church, yes, but local churches, you exist as a local church, but as a believer, your direct authority is not the state. It's not actually even your local church. It is Christ. Yes. That's the, the, the person and who exercises authority um, and it's not through someone else. Right, it's not through a, a priest or someone. It comes directly from Christ to us as believers and also the local church. I, I mean, we're going to talk about this congregational principle and the priesthood of all believers a little bit later. But they, they really are all tied in so tightly to this idea of the direct lordship of Christ. This this idea that that we are under Christ and that that is not delegated to another. That that we have um, that we have no priest that we have to work through that we have um, no mechanism other than uh, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ um, and, and that he is Lord uh, I mean this idea of the Lordship of Christ this idea of our our need to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ this idea that Jesus is is God because that's all wrapped up in that word Lord um, that he is um, the head of the church uh, recently working through Colossians chapter 1 and uh, you know that, that just that glorious Christological refrain that Paul kind of breaks out to in the middle of his conversations around him praying for the Colossians actually you working through Colossians as well Colossians mm-hmm. chapter 1 um, but, but that clear statement that he is the head of the body the church um, that that he heads the church that Jesus Christ the, the, there's no single human representative or even um, or even a kind of a shared human representative that heads the church the church is headed directly by Jesus Christ who is our Lord and our Savior yeah so, so definitely Ephesians would echo that idea even um, that he has been placed as the head of all um, that he has been given over because of his work on the cross because of his obedience both active and passive obedience um, he has come through and he has 
displayed himself, God raising him up from the dead, seating him, yes, in the heavenly places, but then giving him as head, as the authority over the church. Mm. Um, he Hebrews would say that he's our eternal mediator. Yes. Right? We don't need another mediator. Why? Because we have Christ. Yes. Um, and so we look not towards actually man in the sense of people physically around us yes we look towards man and the person of christ right the god man yes um and so we get to come directly through him ephesians uh, paul clearly echoes that idea uh that we look towards christ who he is as that head and he is a beautiful savior i i I really have been captured over the last couple of days of just remembering how magnificent and wonderful jesus actually is Uh, i've been i've been reading a a a book on revivals through the centuries and uh i've actually been reading about a south african revival um one that i didn't know about uh recently um it was a revival amongst prisoners of war uh, that were taken from during the boer war and were taken to Bermuda um, to a prison internment camp there and um, and a great revival which broke out around the preaching of God's word prayer and and holy living uh, at that time amongst the Afrikaner prisoners of war and um, and and just remember that through the years people have been captured by this by this view of the beauty of Jesus Christ his majesty his splendor um, just his excellence Jesus is amazing and he is lord he's lord over all he's lord over us as individual believers and he is lord over his church which is which is then the kind of the second um kind of main element when we talk about baptist principles even before we get to baptism you're right out of the lordship of christ we talk about the church that which he is lord over um and the church being the company of all those who are redeemed by jesus and regenerated by the holy spirit we talk about that being the universe church or all believers throughout all time in every place who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior make up this universal body of the church we, we could even call that a Catholic church um, Catholic being universal uh, in terms of the way that the the word is used in the creeds um, but that that universal church has a local manifestation and that local manifestation would be a body a a, a community of believers in a particular time at a particular place where God's word is being faithfully preached and the ordinances are being observed Um, and that local body even though it is connected to this universal body that local body that local manifestation of the church is fully autonomous and remains so notwithstanding responsibilities it may accept by voluntary association with other church bodies yeah, so I fully agree. Maybe to go to the scriptures of why we hold to this. Yes. Um, just look at your New Testament. Take a look at some of the, the books of the Bible there. For sure. Um, Paul writes to local churches. Except Galatians, which is Except written. Galatians, <laughs> which I knew you were going to come up with. Um, but, but he writes to local churches. He, he starts, I write to the saints who are in Ephesus. I yes. write to uh, the church in Colossia, right? He yes. writes to specific churches. Yes. Um, and sometimes he even asks, passes on to another church in another location. Yeah. Right, so he clearly has this identification of the local church. Yes, he clearly has this identification that there are distinct expressions of that universal body, um, as you fully described it. And yeah, I, I think it's clear that we I do understand that. Right, you're if if made to make a point, and somebody might disagree with me here, but you're not a part of. Oh, I can't wait. Something contentious. <laughs> go for it. You're not a part of the local church unless you are gathering together with those believers 
in that place at that time. Right. Yes. Then you're not. You're, other than that, you're not part of that local church. Hey, and in a in a COVID world, um, where we haven't been able to gather for a period of time, we've were constrained for a period of time. Um, but in a post-COVID world, one of the alarming realities is we see many people haven't returned to church. Um, mm. churches which they claimed as their as their as their safe haven, as their home, as their harbor, um, ha- haven't returned to church and are quite comfortable kind of watching um, video representations of what's happening on a Sunday. Uh, maybe just to be clear, th- that isn't church. Um, th- that is a-, a sermon and I'm so glad to God for the technological advancements that have been made and for the way that we can distribute good teaching out into the world and for the way that we can also you know, put good teaching on display so people can evaluate um, local churches even mm. before they maybe attend for the first time but but friend uh, if you're watching sermons from home um, the, the reality is you're not attending the gathering uh, I spent quite a bit of time again this week looking at the word church the word that's been translated church into our English Bibles it comes from the Greek word ecclesia it's made up of Two, it's a compound word made up of two words, ek and uh, ecclesia, um, uh, the ek being out and ecclesia being called. It's the called out ones. It's those who have been called out from the world to assemble together. It is this, the assembly. It is the gathering. Um, and it's nothing less than that. It is the gathering of believers. That's something which we need. It's incarnational. It's something mm. that we need to do in the flesh. Um, we need to experience it. Even more, I want to point back towards the Lordship of Christ. Yes. What does it mean that Christ is Lord? Is that He has authority? So yes. why is it that we preach on a Sunday? Yeah, it's because we are coming together to hear what God has to say from us and Christ has to say from us mm. through His Word. Mm. And so even the local church is an expression of God's authority. We gather together to worship God, to acknowledge yes. His authority, to praise Him for that, yes. but also to submit under it. Yes. And so we want to know what He has to say to us, yes. uh, both as individuals, but as a gathering, because yes. He doesn't just speak to us as individuals, He yes. does speak to us as a gathering. Yes. And so that's why the church, we, that's why I believe in the local church, is actually because of Christ's Lordship. Yeah. It, and I don't just want to beat people back to church in terms of like lay on commands, but we are commanded to not forsake the gathering. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20, let's go with five. It might be four and it might be 21. But the, the idea there, the, the word that's being used there is uh, do not forsake the synagoguing. It's actually, it's a, it's a slightly different word for gathering or assembling uh, or the, that standard word for church, which would be ecclesia. Um, he's saying, don't forsake the synagoguing. Uh, to come together in a synagogue is definitely to come together uh, in, in, in manifest um, connection with one another uh, and and to extend that even further because I don't just want to beat you with the commands I also want to encourage you with the benefits of mm. being found in one another's company the the New Testament is just replete with one another's we're to love one another we're to care for one another we're to exhort one another encourage one another we're to bear one another's burdens um, I, I, I stand corrected the number that comes to me is 51 
maybe 54 one another's in the New Testament. Uh, we're to greet one another with a holy kiss repeated four times. We're to love one another repeated 15 times uh, in the New Testament. You can't do these one another's um, um, in your PJs underneath the duvet with a coffee in your hand at half past eight on a Sunday morning. No, it requires you to gather together and to be found in one another's company, joyfully singing songs, hymns and spiritual songs to one another, sitting under God's word, singing God's praises, praying to almighty God in corporate prayer um, and enjoying the fellowship, the kononia uh, of the saints. It's, it's both a responsibility but also a blessing. It's a responsibility uh, it's, and a blessing. It's, it's both. We, we both get to carry out the one another's, but we also get to receive the one another's. Yes. And I think it's, it's I would encourage people, like, spend time, go to your local church. Uh, there really is so much to be gained from it. I'm so encouraged when a brother or sister comes up and we can pray together and we can just encourage one another and be like, you know what? Faith is hard. Uh, often the church is messy. Often we can get things wrong. But at the same time, I'm so glad that I get to gather together with brothers and sisters who encourage me, who care about my soul, who desire to see me grow closer towards Christ. Uh, I think of Paul, even as we're speaking about Colossians, yes, where, where he really speaks, I desire you to grow into the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. And I, I pray as we gather together uh, in our weekly gatherings that we would have that attitude where we're so almost excited by our brothers and sisters to say, I want to meet with you, I want to see you, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you, I want to lift you up, and I want to have the same happen to me. Yes. And I love that picture you gave of just singing songs to one another. I think yeah. Often when we think of worship, it's just we're praising God. But no, uh, I think it's Ephesians in chapter 6. It makes that clear. That, that yes we are singing to one another. We're uplifting each other's souls. We're, we're proclaiming truth to each other. We remind each other of truths such as the gospel God's goodness God's grace God's mercy God's justice God's all of those things you proclaim into one another I, I try and make it my now this is a little bit on the side right now we, we're talking about worship and we're talking about singing in the context of the local church uh, and just on that that matter of singing uh, anyone that's listening in I, I would encourage you to do this this has become a common practice but when I sing I don't just sing through the entire worship service with my eyes closed I also don't just look up at the kind of board that's displaying the words and make that the focus of my affection at some stage during any service um, I will turn and face the people in in the service now that doesn't mean I'd do a kind of like a 360 because that would be a bit weird and maybe a bit distracting and I don't want to distract other people but but I will turn to my left and I'll turn to my right and I'll look at folk that are singing and the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm remembering those Bible verses which say that this process even of singing it's to be done to one another it's not we're not just singing a love song to God um, although we are singing out of an overflow of our hearts the words that are on our lips are aimed to his glory and for his praise we are extolling him so it's right that we do have that as the central object of our affections in that moment but part of the process is we're doing this in corporate worship and and so we are worshiping together and so in acknowledgement to that I will make sure that I try and look around at some stage in that worship service so that I can see who I'm singing with because this is part of what we are doing we are doing 
doing this together. We're in this local church together. Yeah, even to emphasize that, I think I was so impacted when I was younger. My parents used to have this Bible study, and they always closed off with, um, it's actually a very Methodist thing to do, I think, um, but closing off with the doxology of Jude and singing. I love it. And holding hands. Holding hands. And lifting them um, right at the and, end. And they would do it as they're in a circle, and it was just so impactful to me because, again, why? The point of coming to the local church. Should, should I sing the uh, the benediction so that people know what we're talking you, you about? You can right go now? for it. Let, let's, can... just, let's just take it for granted that people that are listening in know the benediction now to him who is able to keep you from falling and 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 it's been sung in a glorious way everyone's smiling and hands go up at the end and it's not just a methodist thing i, I know at different churches that i've attended right across the board um, my father is an anglican pastor i'm a baptist pastor i've been to plenty plenty baptist churches and i know that this is a common joyful expression at the end of a service uh, to sing the benediction together holding hands across the aisles and at the end raising our arms in joyful worship yeah it was clearly a pre-covid practice um <laughs> but 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 it was that idea of like why is there so much joy why is there so much because we can look at one another in the eyes yes and know as we sing this benediction we sing this doxology yeah. we do it together yeah right all bonded together under christ looking at each other and going now may god be praised and glorified and would we follow him yes and yes. i think that's that's the local church that's the benefit we get in that gathering is really coming together and going let's all as we are with each other i, I don't think you can do that um, if you're not a part of that local gathering in the church I just want to acknowledge that we have t uh, we have questions that have come in from both Winston as well as Teresa we will be reading those questions uh, live on air shortly um, after the break we've come up for 10 o'clock it is the top of the hour we are going to listen to Great Light of the World by Bebo Norman um, and have a couple of adverts when we come back we will jump straight into questions and answers well friends it's good to be back with you for the second part of the show this morning i i love fridays i love uh, engaging and interacting together with you on radio uh, good to be with you this morning uh note um a couple of hellos have come in uh, from Irans as well oh who has got a wedding anniversary with his wife renee congratulations um for the 27th of june hope that you guys uh uh, in fact, uh, uh, marriage is, is where the next question is coming from. Um, uh, Niti uh, says, Amen. Um, Bree, I uh, see your regular questions and, and do remember to pray for you straight after the show, Bree. Um, Jamal, as well as uh, Sangma, um, thank you for your engagements and interactions. Uh, two questions. One, in, one comes in from Teresa, who always asks his question in threes. We will get back to that shortly. Um, but uh, a great question comes in from a listener named Winston. Let me read the question out to you. Good morning, gentlemen. This is my first time sending in a question, but I love listening to you whenever I can. My question is this, is it biblical for someone to remarry when someone gets divorced? My reason for asking is based on what I see in the body of Christ. Some believers get divorced and remarry even if the other party is still alive. You get some pastors uh, who say you can't remarry until the other pastor pass, uh, till the other party, not pastor, <laughs> passes on and some pastors that will marry the parties regardless. Can you please give clarity on this based on 1 Corinthians chapter 
chapter 7. Thank you so much for grounding the question in Scripture. So I'm going to read the Scripture. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a relatively comprehensive passage and section which gives principles for marriage Uh, it talks about uh, the relationships the sexual relationships between husbands and wives in marriage how they relate to one another Um, in fact it's uh, just in terms of being written in the ancient world it's it's quite a progressive um, portion of scripture that Paul is writing here Um, and then at the end he he begins to to talk about uh, to unmarried uh, widows Uh, he speaks to virgins um, he calls on people to to live in the midst of a world which is absolutely going batty and is nuts. Um, he talks about his own marital state. He speaks to the unmarried as well as to widows. Um, yeah, I mean, long chapter dealing with this topic, 40 verses. And that's in the context of a letter that's been written um, asking him to answer on a very wide range of topics. So, so the whole book of Corinthians, Paul is addressing topic after topic after topic, whether it be worship, what worship is to look like, the Lord's table, how that's to be conducted, um, the, the gifts of the Spirit, be they tongues, prophecy, and so on. Um, Paul is addressing a number of, of issues sometimes within the Corinthian church and other times giving clarity. In verse 12 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, To the rest I... Uh, say I not the Lord uh, which just really means that this is a an original teaching which is coming from him it's not based on something which Christ previously said in explicitly um, in this way that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him he should not divorce her if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her she should not divorce him in other words Paul is making the argument that we should stay in whatever marital um, state uh, we came to faith in. If we came to faith married, uh, we should remain married. If our if our if our spouse is an unbeliever and they don't come to faith, but we've come to faith, um, that doesn't give us the right to divorce them. Um, and then in verse fourteen, he says, "For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy." What I think it's talking about in verse fourteen is the kind of splash effect that a a family gets by having a believer in the home. If you've ever been to a pool pool party, um, not in winter, but but in summer, if you've ever been to a pool party, if someone jumps in the pool and and it splashes the pool water all over the guests, they get wet even though they haven't jumped in the pool. And I think that's what Paul is saying, um, that your unbelieving family is is made holy is sanctified they experience some of the benefits um, of your salvation even though they haven't yet jumped in the pool verse 15 but and the word but is a conjunction it's a conjunction of contrast and so now he's contrasting what he has said before with what comes after if the unbelieving partner separates now we've got an exception if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god called you to be uh, called you to peace for how do you know wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife now now in verse 16 i'm going to come back to verse 15 and be a little bit more explicit on verse 15 but in verse 16 um paul is emphasizing 
um, this great reality, and this might be a, an encouragement to those of you who are listening on air this morning. If you are a believer and you are married to an unbelieving spouse, Paul is saying in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, how do you know that you won't end up being the mechanism which God uses for the salvation of your husband or for the salvation of your wife? How, how do you know that your conduct and your speech, your, your, your talking of the gospel and the opportunities that God gives you won't be the very mechanism which God uses to save your unbelieving spouse? And even for that reason, um, it should give you great encouragement as you go through what sometimes is a very hard situation um, for some um, being married, being unequally yoked in marriage to an unbeliever. Now, to back up, let's go to that exception. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And um, what Paul is doing is he's laying out an exception clause. He's saying, friend, if you come to salvation, uh, let's say you and your partner weren't believers when you met. You weren't believers when you got married. You weren't believers for some portion of your marriage. But at some stage, you heard the gospel message and you put your faith in your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord friend stay married that's what Paul is saying stay married he he, does, he he says that and makes that point for the first three verses but in the event that your unbelieving spouse decides to separate from you you may let it be so in that case you are no longer enslaved um, to uh, to a marriage uh, vow or covenant that that partner has already left now that actually syncs well with all of scripture Paul actually isn't saying this right out of um, pulling it out of the ether this syncs well with Old Testament law in the Old Testament if a person left a marriage relationship they were to be put to death <laughs> and you would no longer be enslaved um, because, because they would be dead and you would be free to remarry in the new testament paul is saying hey listen yeah don't you know put those who uh, sue for divorce to death but in the event that an unbelieving partner separates um you are now no longer enslaved by that vow um you would be free to marry that's how i would interpret that particular text winston and so that's what the bible says that's the position that i would hold um and i would add just one additional exception clause into um into the mix when we talk about divorce and remarriage and that's in the case of marital unfaithfulness um jesus himself speaks about this in two places in matthew chapter 5 as well as in matthew chapter 19 in matthew chapter 5 he says but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except, and so now we have an exception clause, on the ground of sexual immorality, and that word sexual immorality, um, uh, marital unfaithfulness, um, the, the, it's a fairly wide-ranging um, um, uh, wide phrase, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, yeah, be very, very careful who you marry, but at the same time, he's clearly saying that on the grounds of sexual immorality, uh, there is an exception. Uh, and again, in chapter 19, in a section which has got some marvelous texts regarding marriage, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. In other words, be 
divorce is something that we are to be very circumspect about. Um, divorce is something which God clearly hates. I'm thinking of the book of Malachi chapter 2. Uh, I'm thinking about the, what the, the, the fullness of what God's word teaches about marriage, even marriage from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The Bible clearly over and over again presents a very high view of of marriage but these two exception clauses exist the one in the event of marital unfaithfulness and the other in the event of an unbelieving an unbelieving spouse leaving the relationship that frees um, and no longer enslaves the other believing partner um, thank you so much for the question Winston I really do appreciate it even as we're talking number of people engaging with us Masan um, as well as Anna as well as Jamal uh, thank you very much for those engagements and interactions I'm going to read Teresa's question because it is related to Baptist principles and I'm about to pass the rugby ball over to you Carsten Teresa long time listener always great to hear your questions brother how would you respond to believers with a deliverance ministry background who think Baptist church Churches have no power. Great question, Teresa. I like it. I, I really do. Number two, I'm, I'm going to list all three questions. Gives you a time to think, Carsten, as well. How do you engage with a believer who wants to be a member at a Baptist church who believes that they have the gift of casting out demons? And number three, is there a difference between how Baptists pray versus how other denominations pray? Thanks in advance. <laughs> three great questions, Teresa. Thanks for asking them. Uh, enjoy those. Let's do them one at a time. Number one, Carsten, how would you respond to believers with a deliverance ministry background? Do you think Baptist churches have no power? Um, I'd say Baptist churches have no power. Um, <laughs> apart from Christ, they have no power whatsoever. Um, they, they, a church doesn't have power just because it's got Baptist before its name, where it's got Presbyterian or Methodist or Shekana, S- Tabernacle, Tabernacle, International Ministry um, <laughs> of Fire. Yeah. Um, I, I think again, it's it's what I love about being Baptist, um, and that's a weird thing to say. I know that, right? But is Baptists are typically known as people of the book. Yes. Right. What has power is God's word. Uh, it's it's God. It's His spirit. It's His it's His work that He does. And so my response again to that point would be, like, it's not because we have some mysticism thing that happens in our churches. Mm. My response would be, we seek to be faithful to the book, and we hold that the book has power. Um, it, it divides between soul and marrow, uh, bone and spirit, and we we really can can have that power because of what God has given us, much more than because. Um, we think that we have a deliverance ministry or something like that. And um, I, I can promise you now, I think there are some Baptist churches who would have deliverance ministries. Um, it wouldn't necessarily even be a Baptist separator, I think, yes. uh, in my mind. Um, but my, my, my turn to, in terms of where I would say generally Baptist churches find uh, power, would be their dependency upon God's word much more than uh, any other distinctive. Um, yes, yeah, so... so two things uh, Teresa uh, number one is uh, Baptists are a very broad church I think we did mention that earlier Carson's just mentioned that again and so they certainly are um, within Baptists within Baptist circles and I I think we're going to talk about denomination um, shortly and how we're not a denomination uh, what a a denomination means and and why we would would be very circumspect around the use of that word Um, but, but 
but when we talk about Baptist churches, there certainly are Baptist churches which are charismatic. There are Baptist churches which are borderline Pentecostal. Um, there are Baptist churches which are whatever the opposite of those two tags are, um, cessationist, um, reformed, uh, 1689. Uh, there are evangelical conservative Baptists, and there are... <laughs> so uh, the word Baptist itself doesn't actually um, define your position on the Holy Spirit, either his person or his works, or what's in sharp focus in your question is the miraculous works and whether or not they have continued to the present age. That, that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, just in terms of deliverance ministry, I, I, I just want to make it clear that, that most Baptists, whether they are charismatic Baptists mm. or cessationist Baptists, believe not just in the Holy Spirit and in the present work of the Holy Spirit, but also believe in um, in Satan. Um, Satan not just being some kind of ethereal force, but Satan being a real personality, uh, an individual, and believe in a demonic host, which he is the high principle of. And so most Baptists um, will have some kind of working understanding of how demonology and angelology exists, whether they are charismatic Baptists or cessationist Baptists. And so that wouldn't actually be the defining separation and difference between what is Baptist and what isn't. But I do understand your question. It's a question of power. I, I want to I wanna appeal to Hebrews chapter... Mm, now let's see if I can get this right. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to go with Hebrews chapter 3. I'm just turning there in my own Bible. Um, so uh, I, I have a friend. Uh, his name is in verse 7. Yes, I got it. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. He did his master's on the introductory um, statements in the book of Hebrews. And uh, and I came across Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 in studying and uh, in engaging uh, with expository preaching actually. And, and it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my way. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Now, from verse 8, uh, well, 7b really, to the end of verse 11, we have a series of quotes from the Old Testament, a series of quotes from the Old Testament. And it's, a, it's, not, just, it's not just one quote, it's a number of allusions and a couple of quotes, um, but it is, uh, it is, it is a, an Old Testament text. It starts off by saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says and then quotes a number of scriptures that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before and as I read as the Holy Spirit says and then read these quotes of uh, texts that were written um, 400 plus years um, before the book of Hebrews is written, I come to this inclusion. Number one is the Holy Spirit is is present. The Holy Spirit, I mean, it, it's actually surprising in the text. It's it's the Holy Spirit that's on the scene here. Um, and that syncs well with, with all of Scripture, that uh, uh, Scripture is given uh, under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But then it says, as the Holy Spirit says, and that word says is in the present tense. The Holy Spirit is 
currently speaking in the book of Hebrews, but the Holy Spirit is currently speaking through words which were written hundreds of years before. When Baptists read God's word, they truly believe that the Holy Spirit is presently speaking through God's word. And so, Teresa, I know the kinds of Baptist churches which you have been exposed to uh, would be those who have a very high view of Scripture and those who have a high view of expository preaching, which makes the main uh, sense of a passage, the main point of a sermon, and then applies it into the lives of listeners and, uh, and those who are in attendance on any given Sunday. I would say... Uh, the power um, is on display even in the preaching of God's word. When God's word was written 2,000 plus years ago, it is the Holy Spirit who is presently speaking when a preacher gets up and faithfully proclaims what God's word says, just like as in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. The Holy Spirit is presently speaking through his word, which means a Bible teaching church, which maybe doesn't have the kinds of phenomenon that are described in your question, um, doesn't necessarily not have power because the power comes from God's word and God's word on display as it's been preached. Let me also just say that because um, recently I was preaching about the gospel and I was reminded from the book of Romans in chapter 1 when we talk about power, didyme, um, the idea where we get the English word dynamite from, that's where we the, the Greek word power is connected to. Um, the power um, which is described in Romans chapter 1 is the gospel the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile and and so as we're talking about power let, let's just also acknowledge that when it comes to the spiritual realm the way that power is described in God's word doesn't always sync well um, with uh, what your friend thinks power is um, Baptist churches which are preaching God's word in the power of the spirit and faithfully proclaiming it and presenting it to God's people I would say um, have the power of God on display as men and women are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior that, that's the greatest miracle that was the greatest miracle on the day of Pentecost I mean the, the day of Pentecost was a day of miracles there were four miracles that I can think of just offhand number one um, the first miracle was a mighty rushing wind um, that had an, an awesome sound. The second miracle was divided tongues of fire which came and settled on each person in the room. The third miracle was that men stood up and spoke in languages known to men the great and glorious deeds of God. That was three supernatural miracles. But you know what the greatest supernatural miracle on the day of Pentecost was? 3,000 people believed and were baptized and were added. The the truth is that when God conquers a human heart, that is when the greatest power of God is on display. When those people are brought out of darkness and presented into light transferred from the kingdom of satan and brought into the kingdom of god's son that is the greatest display of power that we could ever um experience and that happens when the gospel is faithfully preached 
Um, Ansi, I see your question, by the way, um, and I'm going to get back to um, Teresa's other questions now. Ansi, I, I'm, I'm not going to read this particular question out because I do think that this would be best um, discussed within the context of a pastoral relationship. And so I'm just going to encourage you to reach out to a pastor um, and, uh, and 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 ask a pastor directly for that, so that uh, so that I don't deal with it in an in an in a in a flippant way. Um, I think that that's a conversation which needs um, which needs pastoral intervention. Um, back to Teresa's second question: How do you engage with a believer who wants to be a member of a Baptist church who believes that they have the gift of casting out demons? Carsten, uh, may, maybe over to you. I mean, how where would you begin to answer that question? Uh, to answer the question of casting out demons or letting them into membership, um, <laughs> I, I think again I, I want to make clear, and we have said this before. Um, again, I think Baptist churches would gain very on this point. Yeah, um, it it would be very different. I, I don't even know if it would be a clear point of contention. Yes, I think um, even cessationists have positions on on demonology and even the casting out of demons. Yeah, I, I think even if um, so, so a big thing in terms of the Baptist Northern Association, in terms of statements of faith and what we believe, um, I, I don't even think that would say a lot about whether someone could actually maintain a Baptist church or not based on whether they think they have a certain gifting or not. No. Um, However, let me just say, practically within the context of a Baptist church, um, if you're in a church where where you want to exercise and let's say the gift of prophecy so you want to get up on a Sunday morning and you want to prophesy um, uh, kind of uh, foretell um, over individuals in the church now there are some Baptist churches where that would go down fine and there are many Baptist churches where that wouldn't go down fine when it comes to membership generally you're going to join a church where you can exercise your gifts as you believe they have been given to you you can exercise um, according to your freedom of conscience at that point it might be wise both for the person that's wanting to join a church as well as for the church themselves to to make careful inquiry and to make sure hey is this the right church for you, you you're not going to be able to do or, or able to exercise your gift in the way that maybe you had hoped um, uh, maybe you should consider um, a Baptist church or another church down the road mm-hmm. uh, an Assemblies of God church or a full gospel church or whatever it might be at that point those kinds of conversations would need to be entered into because because when it comes to church the church is the gathering the gathering needs to assemble the gathering needs to um needs to be uh, connected together in common mission in common fellowship and in love for one another um we're not going to be wanting to spend all of our time correcting one another in in ways which aren't helpful um to to our uh, to our to our ability to work within the context of a local church yeah, so uh, I think what you're echoing is, is Paul's desire in 1 Corinthians, a uh, desire that you'd be ordered, um, that you'd act in an orderly function. I think that, again, comes to common agreement. Mm. Um, where, where do we stand on these things? Where do we sit on these things? Um, and so I think even just the point you're making is is it, it can be a lot down to an individual conversation between a certain set of elders and a certain person um, who feels really convicted by these things and a search of the scriptures mm. as to how we would understand these things. Mm. Um, again, standing to be founded on God's word. Uh, but as you said, to be united, to have all things in common, um, that we would operate in an orderly fashion so that the body 
would be edified and not be chaotic as each person seeks to exercise their gifts in the ways that they think is applicable. Yes. Uh, last question. Is there a difference between how Baptists pray versus how other denominations pray? Definitely. There's a lot more power. Um, <laughs> Um, I think again it comes down to the church but I, I would love maybe just outside of the Baptist conversation yes. um, this is a, a side topic but um, very very closely related is um, this idea of Trinitarian prayer Yes, um, I think it's something that we don't think enough about um, the number of times that, that I hear people praying um, to either the Father the Son or the Spirit something that is outside of their role okay. um, is an interesting Point. Well, now, actually, let's just draw that out a little bit. When you say their role, are you saying that the Father has a role and the Son has a role and the Holy Spirit has a role? I, I thought the three were one. Um, uh, it, it just, just flesh, I, and I'm asking that facetiously because I, I think this is worth at least touching on and then we come to come back to prayer. Let me start in salvation, right? So um, it's a good place to start. So salvation, the Father goes and sends the Son. Uh, and then once the Son has been sent, the Son obediently follows, lives this perfect life, dies on the cross, right? He obeys. And then it's the Holy Spirit that in Acts removes the, the veil upon eyes of men uh, to, to see the salvation. It is a unified work that they are not contrary in will. All three, Father, Son, and Spirit, desire the same thing. Yes. So in other words, when the Father sends the Son, the Son desires that the Father would send the Son. Yes. Right? Same with the Holy Spirit. And yes. so there will be... sent are, out by the Father and the yes, Son. Yes. He's <laughs> sent out by both the Father and the Son. Yeah. Right? That's just a joke because that's a fairly um, contentious but, theological reality. But, but, but yeah. they, they go through. So even, even the, the, the Spirit, the Spirit's role is to glorify the Son. Right? And so we see that there are specific actions, roles amongst the Trinity that they carry out, mm. which is of the same world, same nature, but the different roles carry out. It was not the Holy Spirit that died on the cross. Mm. Okay? It was not the Father that died on the cross. Mm. It was the Son yes. that died on the cross. Yes. And so when it comes to something like salvation, uh, the Father elects before the foundation of the world. The Son um, uh, the son. Uh, uh, Pays the price that is necessary um, for us to be saved by his substitutionary uh, death on the cross. And the Holy Spirit draws all men to himself and, and ultimately glo brings glory to the Son as he opens the eyes mm. um, and calls uh, those who would be saved. Uh, when it comes to uh, something like uh, yeah, I mean, we can go and take a look at creation, um, and there's a distinct role that each mm. member of the Trinity plays in creation. Now, how does that relate to prayer, Carsten? Because I, I think you're making a great point, by the way. This is well, if you're listening in, wrap your head around this. This will help your prayer life, mm. I have no doubt. Um, because, because as we recognize that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons, we recognize that as we engage and interact and communicate uh, in our prayer, we engage and interact and communicate with each one of those persons in a slightly different mm. way. Uh, so firstly, I want to state just in terms of how does, how does prayer occur? Um, and then we'll get into them in terms of the specific yes. roles. Yes. So prayer is to the Father. Yes. Right? Through the Son. Yes. By the Spirit. By the power of the by Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so it is directed to the Father, right? When yes. Jesus gives the example in Matthew chapter 6, I want to say, um, then he goes and he says, pray like this. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven. Yes. Right? We pray to the Father. 
Okay, it doesn't mean we can't pray to the Son or the Spirit, but we are our, our, our primary is to pray to the Father. Yes. Okay, through the Son. I, and I'm, I'm even thinking of uh, John chapter 14. I think mm-hmm. we covered that uh, in some detail on Ascension Day uh, during the service. Uh, as Jesus is 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 leaving, as he's preparing his disciples for his his imminent death and ultimately for his ascension into heaven, mm-hmm. he does make the point that it's not a bad thing that I go because now you're no longer going to be asking me for things and I'll be asking my mm-hmm. Father for things. But but guess what? You're actually going to be asking the Father directly for things in my name no exactly 100 percent um and and so it is through the mediator of christ as we spoke about even in hebrews but it's by the power of the spirit is the spirit that enables us to pray Uh, and and again coming back to that as a father yeah (laughs) that that idea that even the spirit prays on our behalf when we can cannot pray um how does this change the way you pray okay So the number of times I've heard someone say, Jesus, would you help me to open my eyes to read the scripture? Okay, that technically isn't correct, right? It's not the role of Jesus Christ to open our eyes, yes. to illuminate. It's yeah. not like God doesn't understand your heart yes. when you pray that. I, I think I think m- much of our prayer is being interpreted like mm. uh, bef- in heaven uh, before the throne of God by the Son and by the Spirit on mm. our behalf um, so that it, Makes sense, and so that it is true, and so that it is God glorifying. But, but, but that prayer is incorrect in that. In that, it's the Spirit yes. that illuminates. Yes. And so, I think it's just in terms. Of, so, firstly, how would this help your prayer? It's intentionality. And by the way, that that first idea thing. of the Spirit illuminating that would come from the Book of Romans. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it's it's this first idea of intentionality. I, I'm focused when I'm praying. Yes. Okay. I'm praying Father, Son, or Spirit. Yes. Okay? If if that's their relative roles okay praying to the father through the son by the spirit yes and so firstly we're being more intentional in the way we pray yes because we want to be intentional we want to be like this is the work that this person of the godhead does yes yes right we want to be clear in that same way yeah um, maybe an analogy is you could be in a, in a, in a room in an office um, and you could say hey joe can you do this meanwhile it's not joe's job it's someone else's job and though it might be understood yeah Right, it's not the same. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not that same intention and application and relationship. Yes. Um, as we come to understand it to be, uh, and so I do think we need to be clearer in terms of the trinitarian nature of our prayers. Yes. I I mean really helpful. Uh, so as you are, as you're speaking and as you're asking, petitioning God for things, it's 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 wise to come to the Father because mm-hmm. it's the Father who gives good gifts. Um, Jesus describes our Heavenly Father in new ways in the New Testament, not in not in ways which are absolutely abstract, but but in with an emphasis of the fatherhood of God. And and when we pray and we, we're asking for things, it's it's right to ask that God would indeed um, bestow good gifts on his children um, at the same time when we're asking for help in present crisis mm-hmm. um, often those at those times I'll be praying to, to the Lord Jesus Christ who promised that he would present himself mm-hmm. uh, amongst us lo I'll be with you always even to the end of the age the end of the book of Matthew um, uh, the, this idea of, of being in the midst of turmoil and, and I think of, of even Paul's visions of Christ as he's sitting in the midst of of uh, uh, of deep turmoil in cities and and even depressed and as Jesus comes to him and ministers to him in the midst of that it seems that Jesus has a very particular 
desire to minister to mm-hmm. his saints and to his church in the midst of difficulty, the way that he was standing, even at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, we, we see these uh, these scenes and these prayers to Christ in the midst of turmoil. And so uh, it would be right to pray to Jesus in, in the midst of mm-hmm. difficulty and, and to directly address him and to ask him for strength um, in, in the midst of hardship, difficulty, darkness, oppression. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that. That, that. That's helpful. Yes. Now, the question though is, do we as Baptists pray differently to Presbyterians, Anglicans, Methodists? Let, let me say number one, no. I, I think I think believers pray. Um, mm. Now, I, I do think that you can discern differences based on spiritual formation. And so, for instance, my Anglican family um, are very influenced by the liturgy. Their prayers are sometimes very high. Um, uh, if I had to compare the way that I pray to the way that they pray uh, sometimes their prayers are very high prayers um, and I think that that's based on the richness of the liturgy that they are often exposed to during corporate worship on a Sunday um, I think that there's something there's something noble and beautiful about that even um, I do think that Reformed Baptists uh, sometimes share in that high prayer in that they're very impacted by the Puritans and will often read Puritan prayers whether it be Valley of Vision um, or other Puritan books of prayers and often will pray with with theological richness that is peculiar to their tribe. I find my charismatic friends sometimes pray with a personability which I find very attractive. I, I've already mentioned the fatherhood of God. I, th- I think of my, my friend Andrew Butterworth who really has introduced me to this idea of the fatherhood of God and just the, the, the beauty of his prayers and the intimacy of his prayers. I do think that it's true that different denominations, oh we've got to talk about denominations still, but I do think that it's true that, that different denominations do sometimes have different emphases in, in mm-hmm. prayers. But as far as our prayers are informed by God's word, I do do believe that we we are heading in the same direction in terms of our desire to bring praise and glory to God and so there shouldn't be such a massive difference between Baptists and others when it comes to prayer if our prayers are biblically mm. focused and driven yeah, I do think maybe just to add add a point on that, one thing that you will find is a distinction. Um, and so part of my family comes from a Lutheran background. Yes. Is in terms of liturgy, how the service is ordered. There yes. might be certain specific prayers which are yes. prayed at certain points in the service. Yes. Typically in my experience of Baptist churches, there isn't really that same... Yeah. Like typical, he has where you pray this prayer or that prayer. So that so might I be spent, a distinction. I, I mean, Carson, I spent the first 13 years of my life attending, you know, every Sunday, Anglican... Uh, services. I can still remember the common book of prayer for almost verbatim. I, I don't need it if I go to an Anglican service. Yours, Lord, is the splendor, the greatness, the power, and the majesty for everything in heaven and earth are yours. And uh, uh, the the words come back and flow back so easily to my mind and to my memory. And so. And so make no mistake, our orthopraxy, the way we go about living out our Christian faith, certainly affects, um, you know, uh, orthopraxy in one area will affect the way that we are living out our faith in other areas. So if mm-hmm. we are exposed to liturgy in our services, our, that surely must affect the way that we pray mm-hmm. because because we do what we've seen or we do what we've taught or we do what we've been exposed to, what we've read. Um, or how could we do much more than that? Um, and so there will be nuanced differences. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about denominations just very briefly. Sharon says thank you for making that clear. So important. Uh, I do want to talk about denominations just very briefly because much of what we've been speaking about has 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 basically either implied or or or. Or, or, or even use the word denomination. So when we talk about denominations, Presbyterians, Methodists, Anglicans, um, and some other denominations, we, we're talking about about very easy to identify groups which are which are grouped together in a formal structured hierarchical reality. So mm. uh, Methodists have not just churches, but they have bishops and synods. Um, they are connected together by by by, by large sway movements, assemblies, um, and other other mechanisms. Presbyterians have synods uh, that they are connected to. Um, they have a, a form of a hierarchical system from from that perspective, where presbyters or elders are elected from local churches and then meet together in a in a kind of a federal reality. Uh, Anglicans, Episcopal, um, they have bishops. Bishops kind of rule the show, um, but together with uh, with with priests in local communities, a separation of clergy and laity. Um, uh, the reality is all of those churches, including the the three sister churches in South Africa, which would be the Hervormde, the Gereformeerde, and the Nederdeitse. No, that's the Gereformeerde in um, but, but the various different, uh, the three sister churches in South Africa um, would be denominations. Now, typically Baptists can be identified not just by their name but also by practice and so you know hey do you guys all pray the same and uh, you know do, do you all hold to to this particular view but baptists of themselves would say that we are not a denomination why would baptists at least claim not to be a denomination in what ways are they a denomination in what ways aren't they a denomination Carson? Uh, i think we're hitting on the principle of just congregationalism in yes. terms of each local authority again this is why we come back towards the lordship of christ yes is each local or congregation having that direct under the lordship directly under the lordship of christ yes right has the right to operate yes uh, as that local church as it bounds itself yes okay so they're not bound by another authority um and and i want to say that again it's, it means that they're they're independent in a sense, but Baptists aren't necessarily completely independent. They're yes. also interdependent. Okay. Um, but what that does mean, maybe let me give a practical example. So yes. uh, you might belong to the Baptist Union, right? So you might have an issue within your church and you could ask for a mediator to come in, to come and assist. But that mediator has no authoritarian role. Yes. Okay. They cannot make decisions within that local church. It yes. is only that local church that makes their own decisions about what they hold to. And how they hold to it. Yes. Okay. So that's that's com- very different. Where other churches, in terms of your denominations, can actually exercise authority. There can be over an authoritative intervention in you. And I mean, by and large, we even see that in apostolic churches, where there's some kind of apostolic leadership over a cluster of churches. Um, uh, v- very often, within the context of denominations, there's some external mechanism for authority over a local church when it comes to baptists are you saying that that each local baptist church is in itself then an independent entity organizational entity uh, as itself it is it is independent as an organizational entity um as its own local church that exists within its own 
place. Now, now let, me, let me say, uh, that's out of biblical conviction, right? Mm. Out of biblical conviction, we, we would see that there would be some mechanisms of separation between, for instance, the Jerusalem church and the church in Antioch, um, the Corinthian church in Antioch. Uh, did I say the Corinthian church in Antioch? That didn't make any sense. I meant to say the Antioch church in, in Syria um, or, or the church of Corinth or or Thessalonica or wherever it might be each one of these churches are an individual entity however sometimes that can be that can be a disadvantage as well because mm. churches can become isolated from the body and the mm. body is a capital B idea in scripture it's a it's a universal church that each local church is positioned as a member of this wider body and so sometimes this autonomy can degenerate this independence can degenerate into kind of a a, 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 an autonomy that I don't think scripture had in mind and an independence which which scripture didn't have in mind uh, beyond that which is written Uh, I think I think again that that point comes in we're all a part of the body yes um, all a part of the church um, and and yes we do exist as local expressions of that uh, universal church as that global church Um, and so I think the the focus, even even for Baptists, shouldn't be on the fact that we are independent. Yes. In in terms of we should now be by ourselves and and with ourselves. No, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We still agree that there is a local church. This is why the Baptists have decided to gather in terms of associational relationships, uh, in terms of how we come together. You think of Baptist Union. Um, where we we decide to associate, we decide we want to relate to one another because when it does come to to issues and matters of, of faith and those sort of things, we want to uh, consider it with those who are also wise and of repute amongst other churches. But at the same time, we do want to hold that we have local authority mm. within our own church. Yes. Look, I I don't want to rush the last the last three because we, we've now spoken through four um, principles that Baptists would hold to the direct lordship of Christ the church believer baptism and the congregational principle what remains is the priesthood of all believers the um, the reality the principle of religious liberty and then lastly this idea of the separation of church and state I, I, I don't know if you might want to pick out one of those three that remain um, and we can just talk about it briefly as we come to a close, I, I, I think maybe just speaking about the last one, just I think as we close in terms of a high spiritual note, just coming to that priesthood of all believers. Yes, um, I, I, I've had the passage open for a while here. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> of one one Peter, um, yes. and one Peter, uh, he, he says, um, if I can hopefully find it, um, and he speaks here about uh, one Peter two verse nine. Um, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Um, it's this idea that no one can impede our, our pursuit of Christ. Um, e- even as much as they, they try to take our lives with us, we don't need to go through a thing of old, um, Old Testament practice. They had to go through a priest, give the sacrifice. The priest had to even sacrifice for himself. He had to do all these things that they might be right with God. Yes. Right, but we as believers have great confidence because we can enter directly into God's presence. Each of us as a priest, um, again, we, we want to gather together, we want to be together, we want to grow in our knowledge, we don't want to be isolationists. Yes. But at the same time, we have personal access to Christ. Yes. We don't have to bring that sacrifice. What we do is we present Christ. Yes. And so I think to for me, it's such a joyful thing. Yes. As we come together, we recognize that you don't have to go through the priest or the pastor in your church 
right? He's not the, the binding authority as to whether you can speak to Christ or not. Yes. Um, when it comes to intercession, you, you, you may boldly approach the throne of grace. Like maybe in terms of like African context, right? We don't have to go through ancestors. We don't have to go through any of those things. We can have direct access to Christ. And I think that is an amazing blessing that we should each hold on to, but also it's a responsibility that we then come to Christ. Mm. Yes, I, and, and so, uh, you're right. It is a spiritual high note because it's an empowering distinctive. It really is. It means that that you, as a local Christian, uh, are empowered to serve um, to the fullness, um, to serve God to the fullness, uh, to to the nth degree. It, it also comes with a massive responsibility mm. because if you believe in a priest of all believers, if you read Scripture and you come to this to this conviction, uh, it means that you bear responsibility. You bear a priesthood um, as you serve God in this life, as you present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the mm. Lord. You bear a massive responsibility, a weight of responsibility in terms of how you go about conducting yourself mm. um, in all these matters. Um, the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, yeah I, I think thinking about that responsibility, uh, you spoke about the one another passages. Um, we speak about how the Holy Spirit has given each person a gift. Yes. And so if, if you are in that position, you are the priest to the other believers around you. Yes. Right? You you have that responsibility to serve them with your giftings, to edify them, to grow them, to exercise the one another passages. Yeah. Um, the same way that high priest in the old days, if he if he didn't exercise his role, right, the, the body, the the the, the people of Israel were not brought well to Christ would be impacted right they'd be impacted in the yeah. same way that your local church is impacted if you are not exercising that responsibility towards the other believers in your local community you know if you're listening in and you want to go and take a look at uh, passages related to that pro- probably the best would be to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 off the back of having checked out 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 it talks about um the Holy Spirit. It talks about the Holy Spirit being sovereign in the distribution of gifts. And then it talks about each person receiving a gift from the Holy Spirit and that that gift is given for the mutual edification of the church. And then it describes the diversities of those gifts that are given. But but the weight of responsibility then falls on each one of us as individuals to, to apply our gifts into the place where God has put us. Which means there can be no bench warmers uh, in local churches. There can be no people sitting on the sidelines. This uh, Christianity and church life is not a spectator sport that you get to sit with a, you know, a, a, a Coke and a mm. and a packet of crisps on the sidelines and cheer others as they go about the work of the local church. No, each church, uh, each member has been given to each local church to be a fully active participant on the field of life in the context of that local church movement. Exactly, and I want to come back to that point of just that your local church needs you. It yes. is impacted if you aren't fully using your gift. Yes, you might think, but I'm a toe. But yes. the church needs the toe. Yes, the church needs the fingers. It needs what gifting you have. Yes, right. God has, in His sovereignty, chosen specific people in specific places to have specific gifts. Yes, and so if you are not exercising those giftings, if you're not exercising your abilities that God has given you graciously, yeah. uh, I think we should come back and think about the question of the talents. Yes, is 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 God going to say? You have done well, my servant, in using what I've given you towards serving those around you with what you have. 
So true. Well, folk, as we come to the end of this morning, uh, it has been great to chat with you, Carsten. Uh, thank mm. you so much for coming in and kind of shooting the breeze and going through a number of Bible Q&As with me uh, this morning. I really appreciate you and uh, I appreciate the time that you've given up. It's also been great to be with you, uh, listeners, uh, this morning as we've gone through a number of questions and answers. Um, I do want to also just uh, give a shout out to Mark as well as to D- uh, well that as well as to uh, Artie um, and Estelle uh, who have written in and uh, Sharon as well thank you for making that clear to us I think I might have read that already um, and Lorette thank you to everyone who has interacted with us uh, this morning as we have been live on air Friends, uh, each week our prayers do go out to all the elders and to deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as to missionaries sent out from South Africa in foreign fields. Um, uh, We are grateful for the way that they serve all over the world. Our prayers for and much respect to uh, first responders throughout South Africa, our our, um, excellent police force, our defense force, and to those who dispense justice uh, in our nation, to our firefighters and paramedics, to our nation nurses and medical personnel as well as to those who serve as correctional facility officers Uh, we pray for you each week you have been listening to table talk with me your host mark we are going to be going out to news shortly and so until next week friday do walk wisely do live holy and do testify zealously playing out today uh, we will be listening to you keep hope alive by mandisa and John Reddick. God bless you.